Only a three-man rush this time. The pressure put on Wentz. They almost get him from behind. Slings it deep that field, and it's caught by Aguilar. And Aguilar into Seattle territory. So Wentz on a three-man rush under pressure from Quentin Jefferson, but a 51-yard gain. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Daniel. And we are Civil Youth, and you are listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. These are just emotions. The best uh, outcome from that Eagles-Patriots game. Tons and tons of drops. The Eagles got away from the run game. And now the Seattle Seahawks coming to town for an even more important NFC showdown to, uh, you know, potentially end the Eagles season. Or uh, they can right the ship. Or a little bit of both. And who better to help us break it all down than the one and only Michael Sean Dugar. He writes for The Athletic Seattle. Covers the Seahawks, has a podcast with the Athletic as well. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I haven't uh, seen a football game live in forever, man. Since uh, Seahawks were just on a bye. It has to be nice to kind of just get that little bit of a break, though. You know, we had, the Eagles had the bye week in Week Ten, and it was kind of like that breath of fresh air for us. But uh, when the Seahawks are on a roll the way that they are, it's got to be a bit of a bummer to not have any football to talk about. Uh, well, thankfully, there's still plenty of football to talk about. I, I upset a bunch of Ravens fans uh, <laughs> yes, yesterday when I uh, kind of joked that uh, if there if there is a front runner uh, alongside Lamar Jackson for MVP, it's Russell Wilson. Uh, apparently, apparently, people think head to head matchups decide MVPs. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing, but I learned it yesterday. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing either. And uh, let's dive right into it. Russell Wilson on an MVP tear this season. Uh, he just continues to get better and better as the years go on, and he just doesn't seem to age. What makes Russell Wilson, you know, this good? Um, no, that's a good question. It's a lot of things, uh, really. One, he's he's really good at uh, he's really an accurate deep ball passer. So um, that just obviously helps when you have great deep ball threats like DK Metcalf and and Tyler Lockett. But even you know over the years. Even throwing to guys like Doug Baldwin or Jermaine Curse or Jimmy Graham, who he didn't hit on a lot of deep balls with, but he was just you know really good with. Russ is great throwing deep, and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes when he throws deep uh, as well. So you look at his like passer rating on, on deep balls; it's it's crazy. So that makes his numbers look you know really really good because you know what separates the good quarterbacks or the great quarterbacks from the good ones is I would say two things. Uh, well, three things: consistently consistency, which Russ has had. Uh, Ball security, which Russ is really good at, even uh, this year, just two picks. Lamar Jackson has five, by the way. Um, uh, and then I would say it's the ability to let it fly. And like you can be good being checked down, Charlie. You know that's what Jimmy Garoppolo has been doing uh, this season. But like the guys who are great, man, Patrick Mahomes, even Lamar, uh, as well, Dak too. Man, they let it fly. And when they let it fly, good things happen. And I think that those three things have really been working in Russ's favor, not just for this year, but his whole career. He's just taking it. Uh, to a new level uh, with just how efficient he is uh, and how well he's taking care of the ball. 
And, you know, you bring up Tyler Lockett, who's had a, a dynamic season and had that bit of a scare with that, that leg or foot injury, uh, but it seems like he's going to be okay. How much of a you know sigh of relief was that for Seahawks fans, knowing that Tyler Lockett wasn't going to be out and wasn't going to lose his leg and all of that stuff that was, you know, initially being uh, talked about? I mean, that's huge. It's huge. It's, it it kind of didn't get talked about enough, I don't think, because they were on the bias. So everyone was just like, oh, Monday night, cool, let's relax. Um, it was talked about a little bit, but I mean, when I read about uh, what's it called, like carp, carpet, something, compartment syndrome or something mm-hmm. like that, that uh, Tyler was supposedly had. Like for me, I was like scared. I was like, "Oh, this sounds awful." Uh, a source texted me um, when I left, uh, when I was leaving the facility uh, at Levi Stadium in San Fran. They were like, "Hey, I think I just saw Tyler leave on a stretcher," and I was like, "What?" Oh, well, that's never good. You know, like when you leave the game on a stretcher, uh, you know, he didn't travel back to Seattle with the team. Like all the signs of a guy who won't play the next week or at least in their next game. And what do you know? Tyler's fine. Uh, you know, <laughs> from from uh, some people have reached out to me as, as well who uh, kind of know more about the specific leg injury he reportedly has. Um, they've, they've talked to me about just how severe it can be if you don't treat it right away, which is why he was taken out of the the stadium and that treating it right away is what will kind of help him be able to play against Philly and play the rest of the season, uh, relatively pain-free, uh, I would imagine, which is just, uh, miraculous. You know, the Seahawks have had some really bad injury luck over the past, mm, I'd say like three years. I mean, Richard Sherman tore his Achilles, Cam Chancellor basically end his career ended, Cam Chancellor, uh, excuse me, Cliff Averill's career ended, uh, you know, and Earl Thomas broke his leg. You know, those are all in the last, two seasons or the previous two seasons so it's about time they got some uh some good injury luck you know with their number one receiver just like basically having a banged up leg but he's able to play definitely and you know just from the the human element as well which i think a lot of fans forget about it's good to see that tyler lockett's going to make a full recovery but the seahawks also brought in another wide receiver through the waiver wire and it absolutely set me off that the philadelphia eagles did not uh even put in a claim for Josh Gordon, but he is a Seattle Seahawk. Were you surprised uh, that the Seahawks were the team that claimed Josh Gordon off of waivers? I wasn't surprised the Seahawks put in a claim because this is a team who was like, after all of that, was still willing to sign Antonio Brown, like, or at very least look into it uh, this year. Uh, they brought in like Brandon Marshall in past years, uh, Braylon Edwards, Terrell Owens. Uh, these guys would basically just try like the big, strong, fast dude. You know, if they if they think it can work out, no matter what the, the the issues are with him off the field, the Seahawks are ready to to make a splash uh, at all times. Uh, so that part didn't surprise me. I was surprised like you just mentioned that Philly didn't take a look. I didn't know. I, so I don't watch a ton of Philly games. I try to watch when I can. Uh, obviously, I turned on the one uh, against the Patriots and my roommate who also follows football heavily. He was like, hey, man, did you know the, the Eagles brought back Jordan Matthews and J.J.? I was like, wow, man. They're just digging in the recycle bin. Like they, why didn't they just pick up Josh Gordon? Uh, so yeah, no, I'm, I was surprised that other teams didn't take a look at him because, man, he can be a he can be a difference maker at a low cost too. He don't cost you anything, uh, really, to to pick him up. And there's plenty of teams who could use, you know, at the very least, just a good downfield threat. Uh, like Josh could be a veteran dude who won't take him forever to pick up the the schemes and all that. Yeah. So I was, I wasn't surprised the Seahawks put in a bid, but I was surprised that with the what 28th waiver claim, uh, 
they were able to get him. That that definitely surprised me. Yeah, it, it blew me away. And, you know, you bring up Jordan Matthews and, you know, Philadelphia, even after that loss last night, even before that, there was, uh, you know, some question marks floating around. An article in the Philadelphia Inquirer came out and said that Howie Roseman was looking to bring in Jamie Collins uh, to play linebacker for this team. And Jim Schwartz apparently had a, a little bit of a say in not bringing him in. And instead, they brought in Zach Brown and He's not in the league anymore, so there's a ton of questions about you know what's going on with uh, personnel decisions for this Eagles roster. And Jordan Matthews certainly isn't uh, what a lot of Eagles fans were you know hoping he'd be uh, coming in just right off the street. But uh, this, you talked about the uh, the injuries to the Seahawks defense that was kind of you know that little mini dynasty that that I guess kind of arc in Seahawks history, and now they're all gone. Uh, it's a new wave of defense. The Seahawks traded for Davion Clowney uh, right before the season. What uh, what are your thoughts on how this Seahawks defense is kind of you know turned over from you know the Legion of Boom to this new look Seahawks defense? You know, I have a hashtag that I go with on Twitter. I have several uh, actually that kind of just I don't know maybe it's brand building. I'm not sure, but I just love I love hashtag never kick. I love hashtag never gamble. I like hashtag establish the run. I also like hashtag Earl Thomas matters, which is a double entendre that I use, obviously, to say that Earl Thomas has value and to also say things like, like when when a Earl Thomas matter comes up. It's actually pretty clever. I don't think people have gotten this the second <laughs> part of it. Anyway, I say that to say that uh, there were several great parts of the Seahawks defense in the Legion of Boom. Right? The best player on the team. One of two like surefire Hall of Famers during that like hot run of twenty uh, twelve to twenty sixteen was Earl Thomas, right? He provided elite free safety play, uh, probably one of the best covered safeties we've ever seen, right? And it was no surprise to me, none whatsoever, that the the minute he wasn't on the roster, the Seahawks were bad at free safety. Like that's that's just no surprise to me. Like he mattered a lot. He's the best. Uh, best this franchise has ever seen at the position so you know no no knock to Kenny easily a hall of famer but like Earl's gonna be wearing a gold jacket too and that's because in the league that was like pass heavy Earl was just shutting all that down uh so when they've uh, I think they've now had like four different dudes start at free safety this year uh and Quandre Diggs being the most recent one against the Niners who's provided looks like he might provide some stability there you know a veteran dude had a pick in his first first ever game with the Seahawks like the Seahawks defense has been below average to like pretty bad, and they got lit up by Andy Dalton, Matt Schaub, and Jameis, uh, and Jared Goff, four dudes who just aren't great this year at all. You know, two of them aren't even starters right now. So that part is very like disappointing for the fans, combined with their lack of pass rush. But for me, when I see those uh, big passing numbers, I'm like, oh, oh, you don't say. Teams can pass on the Seahawks when they don't have Earl Thomas, huh? And wow, funny how that works. Uh, now I see why the Seahawks didn't pay him. Um, but if I, for me, I wasn't surprised this year to see that when they don't have one of the best free safeties ever, you know, back there, uh, man in the, the middle of the field that their defense suffers. Yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, just people around, around Twitter and just the NFL kind of call this Seahawks defense, the, the backdoor defense, because a lot of backdoor covers happen on them, uh, because teams are able to score late, uh, even with that, you know, Russell Wilson's been able to put this team on his back and the Seahawks team is poised to, you know, make another playoff run, even in a tough division, um, you know, and that all starts, I think, with head coaching. Pete Carroll continuing to do it hasn't really, uh, you know, lost a step in my eyes from the outside looking in. 
How do you think Pete Carroll's kind of handled, you know, the turnover of this team from, you know, guys leaving in free agency or having to retire to where they are now and kind of a, you know, a new look team for the most part? You know, I think when I mentioned uh, what separates the great quarterbacks from the good ones, it's very similar to what separates the great quarter, the great coaches from the, the good ones. Like there are a lot of good coaches in the league. I think, well, a lot is no, I won't. I won't say that. There are good coaches in the league, but there are definitely like some clear great ones. And consistency is a big part of it. You know, uh, a Sean Payton team will rarely ever be bad for several seasons or even one season. Uh, to be honest, you know, a Mike Tomlin team is the same way. A Jim Harbaugh team, or excuse me, a John Harbaugh team is similar. Obviously, a Bill Belichick team, an Andy Reid team. Uh, those guys, they're consistent. Their team, even if they're not like Super Bowl contenders every year, they ain't like picking in the top five most of the time, barring like a catastrophic injury to their quarterback, which even then, you know, Hoodie Bill and, and Mike Tomlin and, and, and Andy Reid have been able to kind of figure out how to how to work around that. Andy Reid's the backup quarterback whisperer as far as I'm concerned. So uh, Pete is, is, is one of those guys. Uh, you know, he's he's very consistent. He's consistent in his messaging, I think, which is really important because uh, what you hear definitely reflect, reflects how you behave, whether it's positive or negative. And so if a guy is telling you to always compete, if a guy is telling you to always fight to the finish, if a guy is telling you to be yourself, be the best version of yourself, you believe those things, uh, you know, eventually. Or you or you rebel against them and you're, you know, and they'll kick you off the team. Uh, but for the most part, when you're consistent in your messaging, combine that with, you know, obviously having talented players. Uh, but when you're consistent there and people buy in uh, to that, you know, it's easy to sustain success, especially since those veteran guys that I mentioned just passed it down. You know, they were like Cam Chancellor when they draft safeties. He teaches the safeties how to move. You know, the D linemen when Michael Bennett was there, Mike taught the new guys how to be leaders, and it just trickles up, and it it's like a self-sustaining cycle of like organizational competence, and it's, it's kind of great. And you can see why the Seahawks have been so good since Pete Carroll's got here in 2010. I think they're like the fourth most wins in the league or something like that in that span. Uh, so I mean, some of that is obviously having a great quarterback like Russ, and part of that is Pete being consistent in his messaging. And people buying into said messaging and then matching that with good performance for so many years. Now, one of the things that, uh, you know, the Seahawks are kind of you know known for is even though when they come from the West Coast and they come East, they still perform at a, a very high level. What do you think kind of goes into that? Is that, you know, the coaching? Is that just, you know, team camaraderie being able to just say, hey, we can't al- uh, allow this time change to affect us? What do you think makes the Seahawks perform so well on the East Coast? Well, it's crazy. The, like from 2012 to 2016, they're actually really bad at it. You know, they were they were losing games to teams they shouldn't. You know, whenever there was a 10 a.m. start, I forget the stat. I was actually looking at it this morning because since 2018, they've like they're like five and zero in 10 a.m. local time, uh, like kicks, and it's very that's it runs counter to what they were doing before. And I'm actually trying to discover maybe they've changed any of their travel habits or whatever. That's like an ongoing story I'm working on. But I think part of it is. In the last few years, they haven't really played anyone good on the road. I think those five wins in 10 a.m. spots are Detroit last year. They stunk. Uh, Carolina, who was we thought was good and realized that their quarterback just couldn't throw to his left, so that makes you bad. This year, they've beaten Atlanta. They stink. Cleveland stinks. And Pittsburgh didn't have Big Ben for like 75% of the game. So those are their five wins. So I think part of it is that, A, the Seahawks are a good team. You know, good teams beat who they're supposed to. And then, B... Uh, you know, the, they they haven't really played anyone, you know, worth a damn uh, in those 10 a.m. kicks. So 
it's a combination of those things. I think they should beat Philly. Uh, Philly kind of falls into that uh, realm of team that is probably not very good, or at the very least is inconsistent, which kind of means you're not good. Uh, so I think those two factors kind of matter the most in terms of their record when they have to travel east and play early in the morning uh, local time. And that was my next thing. You know, since 2008, you know, the five times that uh, the Eagles and Seahawks have faced off against each other, the Eagles have not won since 2008. Uh, you know, what has made Pete Carroll so successful against this Eagles team, you know, whenever they face off and, you know, the last couple seasons, 2016 and 17 being the most recent the Seahawks were able to just flat out dominate from start to finish. Yeah, I know one of those. One of those I think is Cars is, is Wentz's rookie year, right? And that was yeah, twenty sixteen. I think. Yeah, so he, he he probably didn't have a shot there. I mean, the Legion of Boom rookie Q uh, just didn't have a shot. However, I guess Deshaun Watson came here and threw for four hundred yards his rookie <laughs> year. They also lost though, so uh, there's there's that. But I guess that shows you the difference between Deshaun and and Carson. And I think. 2017 where was where was the oh that was when the eagles was hot too that was a false game no i think 2017 no that was was still that was right before carson got hurt it was in seattle uh it was one of the the three losses yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. i remember that i think you know what i think that was that was because you know the seahawks probably had no business winning that game but and they won it handily too i think it was 24 to 10 yep i think the difference in that game was that it had reached a point where people expected Seattle to lose a primetime game at home. And if you look at the Seahawks primetime record home or away, and then look at their record at home, they were insulted by that. They were hearing that Carson Wentz is going to win MVP. Cause I think they had one nine straight at that point. They're like nine and one or something at the, at the time. Like it was basically just like the Seahawks were home underdogs for the first time in like forever uh in that game and they heard it and they felt so disrespected and they just wanted to beat the snot out of the eagles uh in that game and they did and i i remember and now that game's coming back to me yeah it was a great game uh for the seahawks that is and i remember carson wentz through like a, I want to say like a 50 yard bomb with a with like i think michael bennett right in his face just dropped it in uh because that guy has an arm uh, but yeah, I think the the 2016 was like, yeah, man, he's not he's not going to beat the Legion of Boom in his rookie year. And then the second one was just like, hey, man, we don't care if we don't have Cam Chancellor or Richard Sherman, which they did not. We're still going to beat the snot out of you just because in Seattle we are fueled by when people when the outside media or fans or just the other region of the country does not believe. Like that's the identity of of the Pacific Northwest kind of as a whole is not being believed in. Working as fuel. It's not like in Philly or maybe even New York or Boston, where they're 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 used to winning championships and people picking them to be favorites and stuff like that. Nah, nah, nah. That's not the case up here. It's like a natural built-in chip on your shoulder up here. So when people don't think the Seahawks are going to be good, that's when the Seahawks are like, all right, we're going to prove you wrong. Yeah, and I think uh, that 2017 game was one of the few uh, last regular season games we'd ever see Nelson Aguilar make an actual catch that meant something. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Okay. You asked me uh, why the Red Russ is so good. This is another thing. His his receivers catch the ball. Yep. Like Doug Doug never dropped it. Uh, Tyler Lockett doesn't drop anything. 
Uh, Tyler Lockett, I think, has like the best catch percentage in the league beside, behind Michael Thomas for the second straight year. Like that's a huge, you know, even if he's throwing the guys who just got called off the practice squad, they catch the ball. No one in Philly catches the ball, or maybe it's just Aguilar does it. I don't know. Nobody but, catches yeah, no, the ball. They have they have bricks for hands. Uh, the Eagles have had I think four or five wide receivers coaches in the last four or five years. Uh, Mike Grow is arguably uh, more. You know, more or less a, a wet paper towel at uh, offensive coordinator. So there's a lot of issues with this Eagles offense. And uh, the biggest one is they can't catch the ball. And uh, that brings me to my next question with this Seahawks defense and knowing that they can be passed on. Uh, how do you kind of see, you know, the Seahawks defense attacking the Eagles offense on Sunday, you know, at one o'clock when uh, – they don't really defend the pass very well, but they can stop the run a bit. How do you kind of see the, the game plan unfolding uh, for the Seahawks coming out of the bye? I think it was the first game of the year. I think it was Bears-Packers. And one of the, I want to say one of the Packers DBs said something to the effect of, we wanted to make Mitch play quarterback. I, I can't remember the DB that said that. Uh, but that is essentially how the Seahawks treat most every game except for like maybe like drew Brees, right or aaron Rodgers, uh they they believe that like we're gonna make sure you can't run it and then your quarterback's gonna have to throw on us then you just have you know no shot which that doesn't always work because lamar jackson was like cool i'll just run for 100 yards uh but for the most part that's their plan and it's going to be as well because you know if if quandre Diggs is going to be a competent free safety than I imagine this their the next their final seven games I believe their past numbers will look a lot better than the first nine I, I, I truly do if they have like consistency in that secondary with veteran presence because Shaquille Griffin Seattle's number one corner is super good you know I think he's had one bad game I think against uh it was against Mike Evans he, he wasn't great because Mike Evans is just a monster but other than that Shaq's been really great. You know, he had that huge pass breakup on third down against the 49ers on Monday Night Football. I think he's like second in the league in passes defense. Uh, so they have a number one corner. They have two vet safeties uh, who are finally offering some level of consistency that resembles what they had in Legion of Boom. So I think, yeah, they're going to try to force Carson Wentz and his receivers who can't catch to try to throw on him and. I don't think it'll go well for the receivers. Now, I specify receivers because the Seahawks have not proven they can cover tight ends very well. Um, so I would imagine that this is an urge day. This will be an urge day on, on, on Sunday. That's If there's anyone who can kill the Seahawks, it'll, it will be Zach Ertz. I think he's one of the best uh, tight ends in the league. So how they defend him will be huge because the fact that they can't cover tight ends goes into those passing numbers as well. And that's not necessarily – as much on the secondary as it is the linebackers, especially since um, the Seahawks play a lot of base defense, even against like 11 personnel. So uh, I imagine that the plan is, hey, Carson beat us, and then they'll be like, all right, beat us with anybody but Zachers. Now the nice thing is the Eagles went out and they drafted Dallas Goddard a couple years ago uh, to to be that number two tight end who was very similar to Zach Ertz. Now if you see the Seahawks defense shutting down Zach Ertz as kind of their point of attack, could you see a similar, you know, big day for Dallas Goddard, uh, you know, not getting that same similar attention? Uh, you know, I don't I don't, I want to say the Seahawks struggle to cover, like, elite tight ends. Like, the run-of-the-mill dudes, like, can catch a ball or two, but I'm talking about the, the struggle meaning, like, this guy is directly, is drastically impacting the outcome of the game. That's, like, even the Legion of Boom struggled with that. 
Antonio Gates hit him for three touchdowns. Tyler Eifert lit him up in 2015. Greg Olson lit him up in 2015. Um, and there's been so, I, I'm, I'm I'm fumbling right now. They shut down Travis Kelsey last year, which is impressive. Uh, but just over the years, it's it's not just taking like a, an okay tight end. You've had to be like a pretty damn good one, like Zach or like George Kittle in the rematch in Week 17 is probably going to light him up. Uh, so you know, Mark Andrews would have lit him up for Baltimore, but he can't catch either. So or he couldn't that day. So I, no, I wouldn't expect like the attention to shift or the attention shifting to Zach to like inflate Dallas's numbers uh, in that way. I would just imagine that Dallas maybe gets more looks, but at the end of the day, the Seahawks probably won't worry about him, like destroying them to the point that it cost them the game. You know what I mean? Definitely. And, uh, you know, this next guy I'm going to bring up won a Super Bowl with the Eagles and then, uh, found out he was, uh, breaking the law. So he still hasn't gone to, uh, to prison yet for what he's done. But Michael Kendricks is, uh, you know, a Seattle Seahawk and he's played pretty well. You know, whenever I turn on a Seahawks game, one way or another, his name is, uh, you know, being called for making a play. Do you think this is a game Michael Kendricks has had kind of circled on his calendar to, uh, you know, face his former team? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would imagine so. Uh, Pete, Pete Carroll actually want to mention his good coaching job. One of the other things he does is when a guy has like a quote-unquote revenge game coming up, he meets with the guy. It may not be long, just maybe like, hey, man, where's your head at? Don't try and do too much if that's what you're thinking. It's the same thing when a guy plays in um, his hometown. Uh, as well he has the similar convo like hey i know this game is a big game for you but hey no game is a big game they're all because they're all big games if that makes sense so even if michael is feeling that way pk will do his best to like hey look dude it's football it's 11 on 11 whatever you know like don't don't overthink it don't over try because we'll lose and you'll look bad and then we'll all look better so don't do that so i haven't talked to michael uh yet about it i imagine he does have it uh circle because they cut him right they didn't trade yeah him, it was right? it was as soon as uh you know the information came out that uh he was not doing some great things involving uh you know money and everything it was kind of almost an immediate all right you're out of here type thing yeah like these guys don't take kindly to being cut even if they say like hey you know it's the business i understand it you can understand it and not like it so i'm pretty sure he probably didn't like being cut no one likes not having a job you know so um uh, I think he'll have he might have, probably has the game circled or he'll be thinking about it this week. But I think his teammates and coaches will do a good job of making it making him treat it like a regular game. And when uh, when we look at this Seahawks offense and we talked about all the weapons, whether it's you know Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Josh Gordon, you also have Chris Carson who's been able to catch the ball and run the ball very effectively this year has made me look like an absolute moron when it comes to uh, fantasy football analysis early in the season. So. Props to Chris Carson, but uh, how do you see you know this Seahawks offense just dissecting this Eagles defense that has been better in, in the past few weeks? You know, even against the Patriots in a loss, they look pretty solid. Um, you know, what do you think the uh, the point of attack is going to be for this Seahawks offense going up against this Eagles defense? Their plan is usually pretty consistent. You know, it's it's running down your throat because once you run it, we're just hitting you in the mouth and you won't be able to withstand that. It's very similar to that Marshawn Lynch quote. I think it was a 60 minutes interview where he's just like, people can't take getting hit in the face over and over and over and over and over again. And that's kind of the philosophy of Seattle, even though he's not here because Chris Carson will run through your face. Uh, and then it's like, all right, if we need to throw, we have a guy who's probably one of the best at it in the league. And although uh, I believe, yeah, Philly's defense has been like uh, very competent, as of late, I don't think 
it has probably reached the point where Russell Wilson is is maybe concerned about where he's throwing the ball. Like I think he's probably feel really confident that he can have a really efficient day. I think that's what people forget about Russ. He's not out here trying to throw for four hundred. You know, he's like, if I only have to throw for two oh five, but three of those are touchdowns on like twenty attempts, then that's cool. We win the game, you know. So even if the Eagles don't get lit up, they can still get lit up if that makes sense too. So I think that will be Russ's goal uh, more than anything. Definitely, and I think my X factor in this game is going to be that Eagles secondary, whether it's the safeties or the corners, because they're going to have to be on their P's and Q's, dot their I's, cross their T's in order to uh, you know keep this team in this game going up against you know the elite talent at wide receiver. I'd argue these are the three best wide receivers the Eagles will face all season. Uh, yeah, let's, yeah, that's a good trio with Josh, DK, and, and a healthy Tyler. Yeah, the Rams trio was the one I always thought was like the clear-cut best, but um, it's kind of falling off because I don't think their quarterback is is very good. But, yeah, it probably probably will will be. Yeah, no, the Tyler's really good. I Man, he's really efficient. You know, like when you throw him the ball, he catches it, which seems so basic. But I guess for Eagles fans, they understand the difficulty in that. We would kill like, that, for that. That process. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, who was that? Nelson and dropped it against the Patriots. Like, he probably should have caught that. Yep. You know, like, hit him. Hit him in, it's a hard catch. But it's like it's not an impossible catch. It's actually is a really good example. It's not the same exact play, but uh, Falcons Panthers from Sunday, Julio catches a ball. Uh, he tracks it a lot better than than Nelson does, and manages to stay on his feet and catches it like Ray contested with Luke Kuechly all over him. It looks like it looks like the same type of catch. Tyler Lockett's made that same type of catch. Made it last year, week sixteen against the the Chiefs um, prime time. Like he's got to catch that ball. So. Uh, I think, yeah, the receivers of the Seahawks should be feeling really, really, really good about, you know, this matchup. Yeah, the the story of this Eagles season is, the, the you could probably make it the title of the, the digital yearbook, Nelson Aguilar should have caught that ball. Um, <laughs> it's it's just every single week there's there's one, and it's it's on him. You know, he, he makes it difficult to track balls. He's terrible at tracking the deep ball, and he does it to himself, and then, you have uh, outcomes like yesterday where he's you know two yards out of bounds catching a ball that should have been a touchdown, and then late in the game, the one where he just uses one hand and tries to pin it against his face mask, and that's how uh, you know the cookie crumbles, and that's how the Eagles lost. In your opinion, is there any possible way that this Eagles team can uh, you know host this Seahawks team and come away with some sort of miraculous victory on Sunday? Yeah, no, absolutely. Any team. I said this after they beat the Niners on our on our podcast. Like the Seahawks can beat any team in the league. They did prove that for the for better or worse, they've they've proved that um, over the uh, over the course of their like history with Russell Wilson, but specifically this season, I think they also proved that they can lose by to anyone. You know, they beat the Bengals by one, they beat the Steelers by two, I think the, the Browns by three, the Falcons by seven. Although the Falcons win probably looks a little better now that they beat the crap out of the Saints and Panthers. Uh, but the Seahawks can lose to anyone, and part of that uh, is because, you know, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll would love to blow people out. Like, he, he would. But he also is – what shaped his coaching philosophy were guys like Bud Grant or even Mike Lombardi. And I know one thing he learned from the legendary Bud Grant was like, hey, if your team had a shot to win the game in the fourth quarter, then you did your job as a coach, generally speaking, which is not a flawed philosophy by any means, right? But – if your team has a shot to win in the fourth quarter, 
so does the other team most likely. So if if that's how you kick it, then the other team, if the other team has a shot as well, well they're they're NFL players too. Like even if they're bad, all it takes is a player to or a kicker to not be you know incompetent you know to to swing the game in the other team's favor. So yeah, this could be a close game. Maybe Seattle doesn't run the ball as well as they want to. Maybe the pass rush doesn't hold up, or excuse me, maybe the pass protection doesn't hold up. I think they're ranked like in the bottom third of the league in, in pass protection this year by just about every metric you want to you want to use football outsiders pro football focus uh, ESPN's pass block uh, win rate uh, model so there's plenty of, of scenarios you know maybe Carson Wentz gets hot maybe Nelson Aguilar catches the ball you know, you never know it could <laughs> it could be a situation like that if that happens who knows and they're looking at total like anarchy so uh, I, there are some scenarios. I mean, I think Philly's favored right now. So somehow, uh, some way, a two and a half point favorite. Yeah. So I mean, they're, they're definitely, I mean, Vegas. Vegas sees a scenario where in which Philly wins. So if uh, one of the other hashtags is never gamble. So uh, if Vegas sees something, uh, be very, very, very wary. Vegas. Vegas doesn't lose very often. Yeah. On on this game alone, I will be adopting that hashtag of yours. Hashtag never gamble. Do not bet on this game because. That just screams, uh, you know, something weird, and I don't trust that line whatsoever, and I expect it to change uh, as the week goes by. But uh, this game's going to be really interesting. Got flexed from, uh, you know, Sunday night to Sunday at 1, so us on the East Coast get a a nice little afternoon game instead of having to stay up until midnight. So it's going to be a nice thing for our sleeping schedule, but... My man, let everybody know where they can read your stuff at The Athletic and uh, listen to your podcast and also follow you on social media. All right, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. My Seahawks Man to Man podcast is always pinned to the top of my profile. So that's where to, where to find that. Actually, on our most recent episode, we had Sh- uh, homie Shil Kapadia. The main uh, man. On Yeah, just had Shil on uh, in our episode that dropped Monday morning. Uh, to talk, we talked about a bunch of stuff. We didn't really get into Philly too much since uh, Shield's a national guy for the Athletic now. But uh, yeah, it's a good little good little plug there. Got Shield on there. We should have Bo Wolf on there this week as as well to really Another dive legend. into the matchup. Yeah, no, we're we're all we're all Phillyed up, man. I'm excited to go out there too. Uh, on the, I think I fly in on Saturday evening. So uh, appreciate you having me on. That's where everyone uh, can can check out my stuff. Follow me on Twitter. Get down with the hashtags. Team never kick. Team never gamble. Uh, I'm just trying to save you some money, you know. That's uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm trying to get you to be aggressive on fourth down, which it looks like Philly is. Exactly, so I, I love it. Absolutely appreciate you jumping on, man. Safe flight uh, out here when you get out here, and uh, enjoy your time in Philly. And uh, hopefully, for our sake, we'll be talking about an Eagles win. But for the overall sake, we're talking about a, just a good football game. All right, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, Eagles fans. It is going to be one hell of a game on Sunday at 1 p.m. at the link. Eagles-Seahawks. I'm absolutely terrified. Uh, I thought this game was going to be the more important of the two at home against uh, you know the Patriots and the Seahawks. And now it's that much more important after losing to the Patriots. And this Seahawks team is insanely talented. They have, like I said when I was talking to Mike, the the best receiving core this Eagles team will probably face all season long. They have Chris Carson, who will run the ball down your throat, and hopefully the Eagles' run defense continues to show up and they can shut down Chris Carson, but then you have to deal with the potential MVP, Russell Wilson. This is going to be a big test for the Eagles. Hopefully they can come out on top 
and uh, hopefully they get a little bit healthy. Hopefully Jordan Howard's back, Alshon Jeffrey's back, just for their presence alone. Because that receiving core against New England that the Eagles uh, you know, trotted out there was abysmal. The running game was abysmal. Carson Wentz had a bad game. It's okay to admit it. But Carson Wentz is also not trash. He can do some crazy things. And we saw that when he made that throw out of the end zone against New England. We've seen it time and time again. And hopefully the Eagles can uh, break this this curse that they have going against the Seahawks that dates back all the way to 2008 being the last time that they took down the Seattle Seahawks. We shall see. But uh, make sure you guys follow Mr. Mike Dugar on Twitter. He does great work for the Athletic and uh, you know covering the Seahawks. So make sure you give him a follow. He's got Shield Capadia on his podcast. And uh, we'll have Bo Wolf as well. Two great Eagles and national football guys. Shield being from Philly and everything. He's a great, great NFL mind. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know how you feel about this Eagles-Seahawks game and what's going to go down on Sunday at the link. And you can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, and you can subscribe on Radio.com. Hopefully we are talking about an Eagles win as we head into the uh, the home stretch of this Eagles schedule. It's going to be a tough one, but I think they can do it. And it starts this week against the Seattle Seahawks. Let's go do the damn thing, boys. Let's shock the world and take down a potential MVP. This has been Seahawks Week right here on Eagles Enemies on Underground Sports Philadelphia. Again, shout out to Mike Dugar for hopping on the show. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. So until then, let's go Birds. Conversation